know if we could just forget that I have the microphone going. But Matthias Bormuth, um, professor, Arbach scholar, good friend in town. And uh, I wanted to, yeah, I was thinking we could talk a little bit about, I wanted to try to talk in a way that could try to make Vico and Arbach relevant or enticing to read. Um, and we were already ha we were, we've already been talking a lot about that between us, but um, yeah, how, how or would you want to introduce yourself in a different way, in a more expansive way? Ah. No, I think I was very happy to get to know you in March when we were at the Philip Roth conference in Newark, and I felt at the first moment that there's someone, a young person, 30 years younger than I am, who is somehow part of the same spiritual community of yeah. writing and thinking in a certain way of trying to make up his mind what is important in his life as a writer, how he could be for himself as a writer, how he could connect to the public without getting disturbed by the public. Yeah. And I felt this certain earnestness in you which was so touching for me um, because it's not too often that you feel that there are people who really are on a way not trying to be important, yeah. but trying to get something out of them of which they know that is important for them and might be important for the public to get to know. Yeah. That was just six months ago, almost exactly. I think we're at the fall equinox, and that was in the spring equinox. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I felt that a lot too. Um, I felt, uh, yeah, that, co that was a great conference. I felt like, People were there, just everyone there was so ex just excited to. Um, no, I felt. I guess I, you know, I, I wrote about I wrote about our interaction. And I wrote about that that same feeling. I guess that is t connected to the Arbach and the Vico and uh, right. Yes, this idea. Yeah, what what would you say about that? Yes, I think because you were somehow for me like a little form of rescue, yeah, because this was an academic. Right, right, event right. Event where I was at, and I liked those people quite much. They were very nice and open, but somehow I don't feel like an academic, although I am officially one as a professor right. of intellectual history. But throughout my way at university, I felt that I have to ask certain questions, and I still have to stay on the track of academic life. Right. I have to write books, I have to write articles, I have to commute to communicate with my colleagues but still I could discern there are some colleagues who are asking and doing research on their own questions yeah and other ones who are doing somehow science in a way that they try to write and think objectively about things yeah and I was always thinking it's my life I'm thinking about when right. I'm, I'm a, a scientist or a philologist and this I think is the point of Erich Auerbach too okay yeah, yeah, and that's 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 the thing I've always felt too. Like in college, when we would read philosophy or something like that, and people would talk about it in class and sort of try to just objectively say what the reading meant, I was always tying it to my to my own life, and that's the thing that was reminding me about that 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 was an invigorating thing that you were talking about last week when we met about um, a reminder of that idea, right? When you're reading and you're asking a specific question and you're 
you're not just reading to get information. You're 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 looking for so so that is connected to Arbach because so, Arbach has this theory. So would you say his 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 theory of reading is sort of okay? Well, let me step back a second. I've been thinking about Vico for a long time. Not a lot of people know about Vico. Um, since before my book even came out, me and my friend Harold have been talking about Vico mainly because, and this is how this is how we talk, we spoke about it. Like Vico is this thinker from Naples who is basically unknown from the 1700s, basically unknown throughout his whole life. Wrote this grand book, The New Science. This is, was just a, a simple professor living in Naples. Um, I think he had like 12 kids. I, 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 Harold is saying just Around in, a, that many, yes. in a house with a lot of kids um, working on this great work where he wanted to, he sent it to Isaac Newton during his lifetime. Isaac <coughs> Newton didn't write him back. And it wasn't until after his life that people started reading his writing more. Um, Joyce was hugely influenced by him. Um, Beckett was hugely influenced by him. And I guess his theory, um, how I first heard of it, right? Keeping it, not, not trying to be an expert on Vico, just saying how I heard of it. He, uh, Harold explained it to, my friend Harold explained it to me as like his main theory is that um, history goes and history has gone in these three ways of initially there being, so I think, yeah, tying in how I initially heard of it and what I know of it now, I think of Vico as um, putting forth a theory of how humans came to have religion, have to, came to envision themselves as having a, d a divine or, or, or a god. And, and in the most crude sense, it goes like this. There's, there's, the there's the religious age, so that's pagan, right? And, that's, and he says divinare is the, the force in the universe that can tell the future, right? So initially there was the, um, I, and I want you to step in and correct me or anything if I say anything wrong, but I just want to lay it out so, and then we can um, move up to Arbach so it makes sense. Um, but there's the religious age where the stars or the thunder or the lightning is the god, um, and it was the planets. You, you know, we're, we're ro ro roaming around in the, in the primeval forest and the thunder claps and then I don't want that to happen again. Maybe we'll sacrifice to the gods and then um, we won't have, we'll have good luck in the future, right? The gods, the, the gods are, the, are, are the weather. Then it goes into the heroic age, which is like the Greek times. Um, and then, and that's when um, certain heroes go off and fight a war, you know, protect the, the group. Um, and uh, the heroic poetry was like the text kind of, um, and then it goes in, and, and then it goes into the the the, the human age where, um, and that in, in the heroic age there was two classes there was a heroic class and then like the underclass, um, and uh, the human age is when when everyone is seen as equal, um, or the democratic age. This is how I first heard of it, and and Harold is kind of saying, oh well. Uh, my friend Harold, who was explaining this to me a long time ago when I first started looking at Vico. And then when the democratic age gets too, too materialist or, you know, uh, um, people want power too much, it goes, it goes back to the religious age. Um, anyway, so that, that, that was how I first heard of Vico. And then, of course, I, when I met you, and I've been reading more of Vico, and it's a little more complicated than that, but that was the first idea that attracted me to it. And then when I started talking to you, um, 
Auerbach, who wrote the big book, Mimesis, um, the representation of reality um, in Western literature, and that's your specialty. Um, you, you know, I learned from you last week that during his his twenties, he he was a first or early life, he was the first person to translate Arbach, and he was hugely influenced by Arbach, which makes sense now because, and I was going back and forth this week reading a lot of the chapters about Homer and whatnot. So I guess it's connected to Arbach because Arbach's theory is tied to Vico where he's looking at these historical figures and he's not looking at, for example, like one big Vico discovery is that Homer wasn't this sage philosopher from a time, you know, long past that, that we should read his, his, his stories as these philosophical parables. No, at that time, it was, if you look historically at what, was, what it was like, it was way more savage and way more, you know, the God, irrational and the gods are doing whatever they want. So he's, and then with Dante, he's looking, is that what it is? He's looking at these, I saw in the intro they were saying to the Arbach rereading the intro, he's not looking at these old um, thinkers as these kind of fixed things that you kind of critique and analyze necessarily. He's looking at these thinkers as these historical figures who are really trying to figure out their life. And by reading them, you're sort of communing with them in a conversation. I think this is the most important what you're just saying. But Auerbach was always connecting to the to the writers or scientists he was reading. Right. And I think he started reading when he came back from World War One. He studied before that law, made his degree in Heidelberg University. Then he was five years at the front. Yeah. And he came back to Berlin. Yeah. And he had started reading at the front and then and his reading list in those early years after the war is somehow mostly the the authors he will be talking about in Mimesis or right. Mimesis as right. the Americans would say. Mimesis, yeah. So there's early on an idea what is important for me. Yeah. And I want to write about people who are just important for myself. This is one uh, main thing in Auerbach that he always saying my judgment is some of the perspective uh, I have to to start with and then he meets Vico in those early years and yeah. I think um, for two reasons the one reason is that Vico is thinking strongly historically and the theory you are developing is a historical theory a right. possibility not a must right so Vico is making up terms to try to understand the human development right. in certain stages and the interesting thing is that he reflects his historical thinking, but on the other side he's saying, and this thinking is a provisional thing. Mm. It might change and mm. uh, it's strongly and strictly historical. But on the other side, Vico's making the point in his book uh, that next to the human provisional perspective, there is a providential perspective. Okay. And this providential perspective he was still a Catholic, somehow, it's the other side. The higher spiritual, the God, right. the God perspective. That's right. It's separate. It's, it's a separate God was, uh, perspective, but, and that was becoming important for Auerbach too, since we just have the provisional one, right. and, and you have to stick to it, there is still the wish that we reach out to the things we do not see. Right. And that we might guess there is this, providential standpoint which yeah. we could not grasp really right but which is somehow given mm. 
And and when you read the first article, Auerbach had been writing after finishing his thesis in his philological studies on Vico. Yeah. Uh, it's just about four pages. Mm. And you see the background of World War One, right. And he's saying, because of that background, what is making sense anymore? Where is meaning in life? Right. And you can see a yearning for this providential standpoint. Yeah. And at the same time, uh, saying we don't see anything. And I think this tension in in the yearning for something and reflecting that we no, do not have it. Right. This is the great thing in Auerbach. He is still ambivalent. If you see other friends of his, like Erich um, Bloch, uh, not Erich Bloch, I don't. Uh, uh, Ernst Bloch? Ernst Bloch, yes. Oh, yeah. Ernst, Ernst Bloch or Georg Lukacs. Okay. Uh, those people Lukacs, were, Lukacs, were yeah. developing in those years a certain utopian idea mm, mm. Of, of a perfect society, yeah. uh, which is somehow connected to, to the Marxian ideas. Mm. And there were great sensible people too who felt the yearning of the time. Yeah. Or if you take Walter, Walter Benjamin too, right. he had his philosophical thesis too about history and connected to, to, to Lukács and to Bloch a little bit and to Bert Precht. Mm. And all those other ones, uh, Benjamin, Lukács and Bloch were somehow seduced mm. to have a concrete idea what the providential could be. Right. And you see in Auerbach the strict uh, case of staying connected to the provisional perspective yeah, right? and trying to make up reading those authors what they could see in their time, what we could see now, yeah. and stretching out. And this stretching out is so touching and so deep because it's always trying to get an exact idea of the human standpoint. Right. The human standpoint they can't see the right so there's a certain humility right. and restrainedness to Auerbach's outlook after a time of complete decimation of right. world war one also a german jew fighting it for the on the german front for right is that correct right a jew, grew up jew, uh, jew, uh, he felt totally german, german. He, yeah he was i right but that can so and there's a certain there's a certain yeah it, i think when there's a, a you know i i was thinking about the connections between um um a hundred the, the 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 centennial moment the hundred years ago and now and I, I make that connection in my book a little bit yes. where i'm talking about um wittgenstein writing right after world war one and i think you know we didn't have a world war but what the world war one did was a sudden opening up of the possibility uh, of humans uh, an acceleration of the expansion of, of humans' understanding of the world. And I feel like maybe there's something similar with the internet in the past 10 years, or there's some kind of fast movement, moving thing happening. And I think when that happens, there's an impulse to kind of try to get, to come up with a utopian solution or something like that, right? So is that part of it? Yes, and I think Aubach is the one who's always critical on a solution which wants to grasp everything wants to grasp everything so he's he's looking at every he's looking at don all these old thinkers as these yeah. they're, they're 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 limited to their provisional sphere yes and the interesting thing is but they're striving like when you mentioned dante yeah yeah he's Auerbach's reflecting the christian background of right. dante right and he's seeing there's a certain consciousness in dante so dante still feels as a catholic christian yeah 
And he, he says, since I'm a Christian, I have to see the reality as clearly as I can. Right. And I have to see every human being in his uh, life conduct, uh, committing sins or, or, or leading a brave life so clearly. And the interesting thing is that Auerbach points out in Dante that doing this mm-hmm. as a Christian, being motivated by Christian attitude, yeah. he shows certain historical figures and the way he is sketching their reality is so concrete, is so mm. clear, and by his literally means, right. so suggestive that at the end, Dante is giving an idea of people which is attracting the readers mm. and distracting the readers from the Christian background. So this is somehow a sort of... Distracting them. From yes, because it's, it's from like a cycle the dynamic um, development yeah. so first he is a Christian who is mm-hmm. thinking about reality because he wants to somehow be be obedient to to his Lord okay and and then sketching the reality he does it in a way that his readers and maybe he himself too are drawn into the reality mm-hmm. and do forget about the motivation that right. they had in the background right and this is for our turning point to modernity ah. So it's like in Max Weber's idea of the Protestant ethics yeah. that the Protestants still wanted to to obey the Lord and to be conscious and to be called to the chosen one. Mm. That's why they made the money. Okay. And at a certain time, the money as such was so suggestive that the Christians forgot about their primary motivation. Okay. And this is somehow a thing in literature too for Auerbach, that okay. out of a certain consciousness um going back to the Jewish and the Christian God, being somehow obedient to to his law and yeah. to his calling. Yeah. People are able to to draw the reality and the reality as such is convincing for them. Mm. And what Auerbach does is he is confirming this mm. development on the one side mm. and he's still recollecting the readers of his Dante book, for example, that there is something in the background, right. a certain motivation, right. and that the question of the God is still opened. Okay. Okay. So that reality isn't any, isn't everything, mm. and and that at the beginning of the Western idea of reality in the modern world, yeah, is it still a Jewish Christian consciousness? Right. Right. So he's not seeing a break between a modern world and the religious world in the background. He sees a transformation. A transformation. A secularization, you could say. Right, right. Because that's the name of his book, Dante, or a secular poet. R- right. Or, or earthly poet. No, a secular poet. Secular but that's po- the poet of, of a secular world. Po- poet of a secular world. And and it stays for Auerbach ambivalence. So it's mm. on the one side just a human reality. Yeah. But this human reality could be seen from a providential standpoint if right. we want to. Right, right. But we don't have it anymore. Mm. But still, it's more than just being reality. Dante's representing more than just reality. Yeah. Okay. I, I I read the last three chapters and I didn't get up to the... I started reading the Dante chapter and then I was I was focusing on the books, the chapters yeah. of the books that I had read. Or I read Dante, yeah. but I I meant to read that one. But the point is, Dante is yeah. just the beginning of the modern. Right, so so right. if you take Virginia Woolf, she's right. a conscious about the reality too. Right, right. And you can see that in Virginia Woolf is always the question of meaning. Yeah. Right. How could things seem 
seen seen as something meaningful. Right. She she just has partial perspectives, partial just impressions. Partial perspectives. And actually, he was she was saying saying by focusing more on the incidental or the or the random, that's when we that's can find. That's the point. So. History is always right. by random. Right, right. And this is disturbing us. This is somehow, if we, if we um, confirm it, right. this is quite, this is not the point because random and, and, and uh, chance are horrible for, for human beings. Right, right. Yeah, I, I was thinking, so when you're saying, I guess one one, thi one 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 narrative I had that that could help explain the relevance to of um, both Vico and and, and uh, the Arbach to kind of current times or or this sort of whatever acceleration of humans' understanding of the world that I'm claiming has happened in the past ten twenty years, which I think there's something. I mean, I feel like I'm part of a unique generation that has both iPhones and the, you know, the, the mass internet that grew up with both, you know, I was there when it wasn't and when it was, you know, everybody f henceforth won't know a world, everyone born after me won't know a world without, without phones and this technological, um, um, means. yeah, expansion and what it's done to politics and everything like that, or just the world. But one thing we were talking about before was this sort of, um in a, in a kind of broad way was some sort of um loss of a loss of some awareness of the providential maybe is that the mm -hmm. if that, yes. if i can say that um you could yeah and i th and when i'm thinking about the 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 arc that um vico vico's charting which i think looking reading Rereading that first thirty-page idea of of the of the book from the Vico book, New Science. Um, I read it. I've read it many times before, but I read it really slowly this past week, and then directly went to uh, the Arbach chapters that seemed like they related to it. Because um, um, he's talking about the different, you know, the first Arbach chapter is the difference between the Old Testament and Homer, which is straight straight out of um, Vico. What Vico is looking at the different phases he's talking about um is um you said something last week and i didn't understand this and then i reconfirmed it looking back at the vico where the idea uh, so if we think of humans just running around um with no f so he says the first vico says the first step towards humans becoming a civilized civilization or you know is is basically the establishment of family so that's like um before you would r there was no one staying still everyone was running around um eating eating berries you know gathering things sleeping with whoever um and then at one point they said is marriage the institution of marriage you're saying you know i, I i'm with one person and uh i i i don't sleep with you know and stay in one place and and then sudden and then the second thing is burial. You establish so and and our fathers or the people who came before us, we bury at this place. In uh, and you think about any civilization that completely loses loses any any sanity is when there's unmarked graves and there's right. 
so this is I just thought that was so interesting that borough and this is pre-agriculture you know the plow comes later um, this the city comes after that or the Commonwealth you know all these different establishing structures and then it gets you know aristocratic where the heroic age is the heroes serve certain um, aristocratic lords but there, there's or or but there's still tears of people then there's there's the servants and the slaves or whatever and then finally hum humanity the the human the the age of man not the age of heroes or the or the re religious age of the pagan times that's when everybody that's through rationality they acknowledge that everybody um is 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 of the same tier you know um um and um um but but when I'm thinking so so you said something that the providential so this is what you know any type of the what what pushes people to say so the first step is family marriage and burial was established and you can say you can see like with burial you're you're that's the first time he said that the idea of the eternal soul or the idea of some continuity of belonging to a family a group and then it's it's about it's kind of humans understanding how to envision a future versus responding to immediate responses right. They are not just at that point. Right, not just at the immediate point. Like, you know, like, I'm not going to, you know, th this is, that's what he said. You know, and he gives the example of in um, Abraham, oh, no, no, in, in the Bible, um, Ham and Shem or something like that. Yeah, two, uh, they, they, f they fled their father and broke the marriage bond and basically returned to that kind of like, um, Wildlife, yeah, wildlife running around, and then they establish new things eventually. But, but it—I don't know—it it's maybe seems obvious. But so I thought of the idea that um, the ability to imagine your life and and the next, you know, your your yeah. future is something has to do with religion. Like you said, that, that I think divinare mm, is what tells. No, the that's future. interesting because uh, this is like a cultural theory. Yeah, and and reading Vico means and 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 and, and discerning those different stages means for Vico those stages could come again at every right time it's so 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 it's so like he's thinking in cycles right and and those stages might 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 appear again at another time right. or might disappear right so so and and all of them uh, signify a certain attitude so right. like what you are describing at last this this attitude of 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 a historical consciousness right. of of a tradition that we have right that there were ancestors that that we are family that the family has a has a future right this somehow form of stabilizing our world right and 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 stabilizing our personality in a certain um society where yeah. we are part of yeah and which has a certain order Right. Which we need to develop life. Right. And then again, people appear who want to to flee this disorder, who want to, to develop their individual their, their individual needs and right. interests. Right. And 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 they destroy it again. And I think so you could say with Vico who's 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 sketching those different states, Auerbach is showing that the Society is a dynamic society where mm -hmm. those states are somehow coming and going at different times, and that is somehow needful to see that there's a cultural work to do, right? A social work to do, yeah. But this is not everything. 
otherwise Auerbach would be a flat historical thinker. Right. Because that's the other point that we got this idea of providence, that, that this cultural work is always provisional. It's right. coming and going. Right. But there is for Wicke also the idea of the providential. Right. And then Auerbach takes this providential standpoint in his, and, and you mentioned it, the first chapter of Mimesis, and is somehow stressing it as a possibility that out of this providential standpoint there's a voice coming. Mm. And this voice is calling Abraham. Right. And you can see that sometimes it happens that the human person uh, feels or or has 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 the feeling that someone is calling feels him or her. Call. Yeah. yeah, feels a call yeah. and and feels therefore drawn out of the society. Right. Feels as a single person who has a certain responsibility, a vocation, a calling. And this is something totally different than building up a family. Right, right. And and this first chapter the idea is that the that the 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 obedient Abraham should right. should kill a son right. as a sacrifice for the Lord. So right. so there are two two different perspectives struggling with each other. It's like a tragedy. Yeah. And Auerbach is not solving this tragedy, yeah. but is showing that you have on the one side this this reasonable uh, perspective of a human ethical and cultural life. Right which all of us have to live in order that society keeps somehow safe and sane. Right, right. And on the other side, this would be somehow not enough. Mm. There's always like this this coming from somewhere, right. from this, pro this providential standpoint, this calling, yeah. that one person or some persons are called to to step back from, from this just cultural work and think about everything. Yeah. And the interesting thing is in this first chapter that Auerbach is saying, yes, in the beginning, this calling was a religious one, to be consciousness, to, to listen. Mm. And this consciousness develops somehow, therefore that those people who are listening in this special way, who are somewhat, uh, so are taking a, d a distant standpoint, mm. become rebels, mm. become people who are asking, what are we doing here? Right, right. So we have those two two drives, the drive to build up a certain society right. and then the drive to not to destroy it but to reflect it right, right. and to put a society into question. Yeah. And both sides are somehow typical for Erich Auerbach and the dynamics of life. Yeah. And you could say that the writers in the perspective right. of Auerbach from, from the Jewish times on yeah. are not serving the public, they're serving the change. They're serving somehow the recollection of something else, that there is a certain otherness, that we are not just living on, right. and reflecting on this, uh, this uh, back to the first world. War. the first world war was a time of a crash of this cultural world, and after that time, after that war, there was a need of people who could think for themselves. Yeah. So writing mimesis somehow means a legitimate perspective or building a legitimate perspective of, 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 of single persons looking at the world yeah. and not just of persons uh, keeping a cultural and ethical society Follow up. Following the, yeah. Right. So that's, so you can see how deep going Auerbach is. Right. But that's why I think it's relevant because in times when 
I don't know. I just I never articulated that idea of what religion or the idea of providence could do. The idea, and when people are completely unable in despair, they can't imagine a future. Right. When you can't. I never I never thought of providence or that idea as being the ability to imagine a future. But I think that in current times. There is this element of everything being so immediate and so fast that people have difficulty separating like like in the primeval times, the the immediate gratification versus some. And then over time, you start to feel more and more despair, like in a kind of in a kind of latent way where where I mean, of course, like and in his time, it was complete catastrophe, too. So it's like especially in times or even. I don't know. Everyone had a different experience about of the last few years, but there is, there was an element of this sort of people not being able to imagine a future. I don't know, and that's the times when it feels yeah. like people need to. Yeah, I think. Am I being a little bit revolutionary? I don't mean to be. Yeah, I, I think you're you're totally right. Auerbach would say, like in the first chapter of Mimesis, um, like he's very polemically discerning. The Homeric standpoint as a superficial one, right? That the people are just living an adventurous life of right. of acting and reacting, right? What happens to them, and this could be some of the description of that what what is taking place nowadays, right? 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 People just superficially reacting and acting to things that happen in the foreground, right? And the other thing he's he's somehow connecting to the to the Jewish standpoint of Abraham, right? Is that he's he's saying there is a certain background in life, and this background uh, and and being aware of this background means becoming a sole person, a person for yourself, a single person who has to listen, who has to reflect, and who is not part of the society anymore. And I think this certain loneliness of being called, yeah. of becoming yourself. Everybody wants to be free, right? But becoming yourself means something else. Means being able to reflect yourself and to get to know what you really have to do. Yeah. And this is totally different from, from just doing this and that. Right. And and this work, Auerbach is meaning, and, and this work is very, very hard. And the seduction of just leading a superficial uh, superficial life in 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 reacting to this and that in the media age yeah. is 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 very high. Yeah. And the ability to draw back to just listen what is my calling yeah and to stay at least some hours every day for yourself without being connected yeah this would be the task and that's part of so i actually i was reading an, an essay i typed in because i hadn't really made the explicit vico arabah connection until we spoke even though i yeah or i'd seen it in the intro and i typed in arabah vico when i was moving my car last week and i started reading this really long jstor uh article uh essay what is jstor essay jstor is a academic jstor is an academic um essays are are in there and had a it had a you know beginning that i read the i read really far into it and you came up in it really yeah Uh, part way in it said yeah matthias barmuth wrote about um uh, um wrote about and he was talking it was about vico what's his name i uh, I can't remember i (laughs) took a screenshot of it but he mentioned how um you you made a case about um, Arbach's so Arbach 
uh, Arba- one of Ar- Arbach's 1933 essays on Montaigne about this withdrawal from yes. society. Can you talk about yes. talk about well, that? Well, a this bit? Is, yes, this is one of my favorite essays. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. It's before 1933. Okay, it had been written when Auerbach had a vocation as a professor in in Germany in 1929 as a Jewish professor so he was working at the library from 20 right 20 from 20 after the war after the comes, war he comes w- back 22 starts working at the library right. translating Vico, reading widely a nice post and then he wrote the book on dante yeah and it's very untypical in german that there's someone who's not in the academic system right just writing a book uh, just writing a book uh, has a calling right and our head because this was a book of a genius and and he had the post the professorship in marburg yeah and those years in Marburg were just, I think, like paradise for him. It's a wonderful little university town where Martin Heidegger had been teaching before, oh, wow. Wow. Where, where there was a great hum- a humanistic faculty at the time, uh, great people, well received in Germany, Marburg, yeah. and and it was a prestigious position in Germany, such a post. And and it lasted for six years, starting in that twenty nine, right? Yeah. And then, and in the early in, in the early years, everything seemed wonderful. Yeah. And he's writing this Montaigne essay, okay. And you could see that he's reflecting his own position uh, in the one of Montaigne as a layman, without clerical connections anymore. Okay. With a person who's thinking and making up his mind for himself, and trying to invent a certain language for the common reader. Mm. And a certain task of self-orientation in yeah. life, and a certain certain acknowledgement of being for yourself, because everybody is going towards death. And you could see somehow the influence. Some years before Martin Heidegger uh, published in Marburg his book *Being and Time*, right, where the Dasein zum Tode, the yeah. being to death, yeah. is in the center, and all. All those pupils of Heidegger were still in Marburg. Yeah. So this atmosphere of of uh, being to death mm. and have to reflect your own personality without being connected to any cultural or religious uh, community anymore was strong in Marburg. And you could say that Auerbach took this atmosphere yeah. and connected it to his idea of Montaigne and making it more easy. It wasn't this existential thinking. Okay. It was the skeptical, ironical thinking of someone mm. who knew, like Montaigne, mm. I'm a being which has to die sometime, and I'm not a Martin Heidegger, but I'm Montaigne, writing easily about my life, Okay. like being at the edge and still being happy and ironical. Yeah. So it's a form of, of I would say, nobleness, that not pushing the points, it's everything dark. Right but feeling the darkness and still being easy. Mm. And this, you could say, is somewhat typical for Erich Auerbach. He's right. always hiding his inner mood yeah. in a certain modest form. And I would say this this Montaigne is is a certain veiling his, his deep, earnest, positive uh, uh, personality, yeah. which reflects that one has to die in a easygoing, ironical Montaigne yeah. who's, who's, who's writing essays which open up for everybody in a somehow nice way the the avenue of thinking. I have to read Montaigne. I don't. I haven't read Montaigne. Yeah, I think it's 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 perfect bec- because in Montaigne you have this. Yeah, you have this certain form of 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 putting um, of putting deep things in a mm. way that that you think is just easy. Okay. 
and he's not a scholar. Yeah. And 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 there's a later essay by Auerbach um, on a certain book on Montaigne, yeah. written by a German scholar. And and at the end, it's very funny. Auerbach is saying, and the scholar thinks, yes, Montaigne is important, but is he such an important personality? Okay. And Auerbach saying, um, yes, our Montaigne might be the most important personality because he represents the common man. Right. There is that. There is. Ah, uh, yeah. There's that element in 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 Auerbach. Because uh, one of the chapters that really resonated for me was um, late in uh, uh, the penultimate chapter, the one before. You told me to read the 20th chapter uh, 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 the of Mimesis. Yeah, Mimesis. But the penultimate chapter, I noticed... I didn't, I didn't talk to you about this, but it had... Um, oh, yeah, I was writing to somebody about this. It had uh, a whole bit on uh, Zola's Germinal. Um, and I read... I read uh, I wrote an essay, a published essay about Germinal last year. So you know the book quite. quite I know well. it quite well with with no back with no back uh, knowledge really. Yeah. Someone told me to read it, and then around the same time I started reading it, and around the same time someone asked me to write an essay about any book, and I said, "Oh, I'm reading this book. I'm going to write about it." Um, and do you know that book? No, I okay. just read Auerbach. I just read it. Auerbach. So you know, it's just um, going into the mining towns. It's 1888 going into the writing s really naturalistically about the, this mining town, the way they live, making just enough to eat. So only social realism. Yeah, social realism. Only way to, to get drunk and having sex is the only way to any pleasure. To enjoy yeah, and then life. And then one guy, Etienne, comes, one guy comes to town and then he starts a whole revolt and then it gets really crazy and people die and it doesn't work and then goes back to where he started, you know. And I didn't know... So if we're talking about the the reality that's being represented in literature, I didn't even really realize how shocking at the time that was for people to read about the low class. So if you think about it, initially literature was divine text that that no one could even read, I right? No, I think okay. you, 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 you made a strong point because for Auerbach yeah. it's always important to say that realistic literature yeah. Is a mixture of high and low style, right, 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 because of those different uh, layers in society, or right, or strata, he would say, yeah. But that wasn't that wasn't. Uh, so what I was going to say was, initially, literature was a religious text that was that no one, the masses, couldn't even read. So, right, or, so then, or a classical text, yeah, right? Cl in yeah, the, yeah cl in the in the in the oldest times. Then it gradually became a more common thing, and he's talking about this period of time as the first time the 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 lower strata could be what was even represented pa and then zola was the first person to write about the lower strata because because right before that there was somebody who wrote a a, a really a first person pamphlet in this really crude way uh, of a, a poor maid woman and that was the first time but that was still written in crude language zola was the first time to represent the lower class in a classical refined language but the point so is for aubach this goes back to the new testament mm. yeah that's the point exactly. so he's saying like this social realism yeah and the including of the lower classes yeah. and the lower language exactly is somehow um a coming back of the of the kind of writing that the new testament had the new had testament treats the leper the 
the the incidental encounters all those any, any, all the vulgar people and treats them with the historical significance or or the mm-hmm. whereas before the romans or the heroic you know or it we only the 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 the, the the you know the romans giving a speech to a, a, at a at a historical moment in time were the only things that would get represented yeah yeah, that that's that's Auerbach. So that's Auerbach. So, so there is that element of representing w- reality as a whole. Yeah, and he was still a German professor. This right. is so funny because he was in the highest class in Germany as a professor, but he had the sense of the lower classes. Right. And he had a real, a real empathy. Yeah? Right. He himself was someone. I'm of this class, and the father of his wife was one of the heads of the German bank. So yeah. he had a rich background and the house where the family lived in Berlin in the Fasanenstraße, yeah? yeah. Number 72 was, if you look at it nowadays, yeah, it's such a representative entrance, yeah? Or mm. the other one, Steinplatz, yeah? Mm. These were the places where the, the richest people lived in Berlin. So, so Auerbach was somehow one who came from a very high bourgeois background. Yeah. But, but but this didn't uh, this didn't corrupt him. Right, right. This this didn't corrupt his openness. Right. Uh, but he knew who he was. Right. That's so interesting. I mean, they were just describing the Auerbach was describing the the reaction of that book of you know how could you represent this vulgarity and and I don't know it was it was making me understand my book in a weird way where it's uh, it's from a speaker. I mean, because yeah, I. I feel like I I didn't have a wealthy upbringing, but I had a weirdly rigorous upbringing from my from my mom. So I was able to navigate different academic spheres. So then the book is from a voice of someone who's not supposed to be into literature or thinking about literature. And there's something shocking about that. Yeah, but but that's the point Auerbach is always saying. This is foreground. The social point is foreground. Right. So if or or the language is foreground. So there might be very deep thoughts. Right. In a vulgar language. Yeah. You have to look at the soul, at the exactly. motives of people. Exactly. So, so Auerbach is like Jesus somehow. He's, he's focusing the, the inner motives of people right. and not the outside, not the, not the social attitude. So, so reading Auerbach, and he was uh, like, you can see there's always a polemical sense against the French society with all these differentiations between mm. the, the different strata. Right. Auerbach is, is talking for the soul persons. Yes. Wherever they may come from. Yeah. Man, is this is very this is very revolutionary. Yeah, and that's yeah that's that's what that's in a modest way. So you don't see it. Yeah, he's always quiet and calm. But but, uh, but yeah. if you see, it's a subversive book, Mimesis. Yeah, it's it's saying social strata, social social order is interesting. But it's just the foreground of life. So going back to Vico means that's, that's this one thing is so this taking care of the social order is important. Yeah. But if you take too much care of it, right, you lose the most important, the inner perspective, the perspective of providence, the perspective of the soul. Right, right. But that idea of treating everybody from every strata as having the same light within them is the final stage of of uh, Vico's um, three tripart cycle. It should be, because that's what rationality leads us to discover. Because even in the heroic age, 
you know, there was tears of people. There were still the low. There so were still the sl the servants. So the it's a universal pers perspective, right? Right. The, the and that's that's what we're striving for. But I wonder if there are also elements of the early age, the primordial age, that have value. For example, because it is rationality that it leads us to believe that everyone is equal, but. There are aspects of the earlier age and the earlier language, the poetic language that deals with archetypes and imagination and awe that gets lost when everything is rational. I think there can be too much rationality, too much mechanical scientific thinking. I yeah. think that's what we're in now. Yes. And that's the point in Auerbach too. He's not a believer in progress as such. Right, right. He, this he disagreed with that. With the Hegelian or the, right. the, the, the element that's of Vico. That's the one that's thing he didn't agree with. And that's why it goes back to Vico. He's, he's thinking in circles it's, yeah. and things come and go. Right. And that's what you have to reflect. That's that's the way to think about it. Because there are elements of our time that are that sometimes I think too, too scientific, too rational. Sometimes I think... Um, Almost like the beginning of time where everyone is reset again and they don't, they need, we're starting over the whole process because we have kind of too much choice, mm -hmm. too much options, and that's leading us to just respond to immediate gratification, to not be able to imagine a future where we have to start mm -hmm. the process all over again. And then sometimes I think that there is a heroic element that the cult, or there's something about, yeah, that, d that need to, Things getting too too segmented and 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 people wanting to, I don't know, I don't. Know. I feel like I need to understand. Yeah, I need to understand the Vico more to to fit it into his structure. Mm -hmm. But somehow, something about the epic and the poetic and the imaginative and the archetypal is appealing to me right now to g go against how everything is going. I think you could say that Auerbach is taking Vico and and Vico is not a systematic thinker. Mm. I think yeah. he's like he has many different perspectives and topics and ideas. Yeah. And all those things are spread out in his book. Yeah. And I think this is this uh, this is uh, uh, work of a genius, but but this genius wasn't wasn't able to put it in a form and maybe and, and, yeah. and I think this is wonderful because Vico Vico has not a closed theory. Right. Right. And Auerbach either. Right. So, so reading Vico and taking all those different aspects and taking this and that, it's a pragmatic approach. Yeah. With reflex that we will never have a closed cultural theory. Right. Keeping it open. Keeping it it's open. It's like what you were saying about the yeah. The 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 reaction. I thought your your critique of Heidegger when we were talking last week of of reaction to death. I mean, it's all reaction to death. It's all about trying to stay open and it's trying to stay open and not clamp down and mm -hmm. fixate on this on this single you know utopian theory when faced with that right that's the point and i think that's the point like i come from the german academic tradition yeah and i was too young to to see how the 60 the people of 68 were acting yeah and it's so interesting that they were all hegelians yeah mm, mm. and and they were all searching for meaning Right after their parents had done things, right, and they all were searching for justice. Yeah, and they were all searching for a certain progress, yeah. injustice and right. enlightenment. Right, uh, and they and they kept on that track in a harsh way. Yeah, and they built up certain theo certain theories how how this progress yeah. could be made. Right, and and that's so interesting doing that 
they for themselves were closing up their minds. Right. Real fixated on the one right. way to do it. And, and, and anyone else who doesn't agree. You could see this motivation. Right. But you were somehow shocked how how cruel they became at the application and how how narrow minded and right. how unopened to listen to other ones yes. and, and how unopened to respect that history is never closing. That we do not understand history and that history is always something terrible because it's more than we we don't get the meaning we of can't life. Because the cause that's what Vico says. The human concerns are the only things that they, we can concern ourselves with. We can't know about these higher no. things. There is an element of trying to we don't see know the, the higher perspective. We don't see that. We, we never have see the, need the providential for it, point. But we don't get it. And this is what Auerbach is teaching us to to respect the the difference between both, but not to neglect one of them. Not to neglect one of them. The opposite way is to go completely materialist and say there is no right, right, and the other is yeah. There's just providential thinking. Just yeah. so, so like Martin Heidegger, if you read his late books, right, right, it's 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 almost boring. Right. He has a great ability to contemplate, right, and he takes this providential standpoint. Right, we say in terms science, Geschichte, history of being. Yeah, and and only the prophet, the deep thinker, is able to to tell the other ones right. what the history of being is. Right, and all of them have to wait that this history will appear sometime. Right. So what he's saying, I have a providential standpoint and I know about it, but it's not a metaphysical one, whatever it may be, I don't know. Yeah. And all his l readers have to listen to him. Yeah. And he's neglecting totally the the provisional earthly standpoint right. because thinking earthly for him means being distracted and disturbed. Right. right. And the interesting thing is he's on the one side right. Right. It might disturb you, but otherwise we have to to take care of and Auerbach's in between. He's saying, yes, we have to take care, but not too much. Just taking care is is not enough. We have to try to understand what the provision, what the providential standpoint could be for us. Right. But always on our own account. Right. There's nobody telling us. Nobody has somehow the authority of a higher insight. This is this is this is also how well one thing is keeping that question keeping that that openness to right. something else while not trying to know everything is i think part of the process of writing well right and this and, is and the ability of ambivalence ambivalence but i also think that's a really helpful idea about reading that there is no there is no because i think so much of, Absol of no. absolute absolute uh knowledge of something because i think part of the reason why literature is has less relevance culturally. I mean, obviously, there's a bunch of reasons that are technological, yeah. and, you know. But I think one of them is, um, I think, through uh, PhD culture or expert culture, there's this idea that the way to engage with there's an intimidating aspect of it, or the way critic, the way book reviews are written, where it's kind of like people putting on this like expert stance about what certain things mean and then if you're not on that you know you know if someone's not you don't get it you don't get it and you're out of it whereas no it's like that's what i was thinking when i was talking to you last week it's like yeah it's like i was saying in the beginning of the conversation it's like we only have our provisional place even right now i'm speaking about how, how, what vico means to me now i might go back and read it and i'm gonna and say oh I, I wasn't I quite tomorrow i wasn't quite there 
on right. that point. But it's okay. It's okay to speak from the provisional right. point as long as you. I don't. And it's good. It's good right. to speak from the provisional point. Ask questions from a provisional point. That's the antidote to this all or nothing, one right. way, all providential, all provisional. And the point is, a good teacher should 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 teach his uh, pupils to be able to be open. And there's a nice right. story, like when Auerbach was, was in Istanbul, he had his uh, pupils around him and there were some assistants from Germany mm. and there was w one who stayed in Istanbul afterwards too, mm. Traugott Fuchs is his name. And there's a wonderful letter Auerbach has written to Fuchs in 1938 when, when the European situation became darker and darker. Mm -hmm. And this, this Traugott Fuchs must have asked him what, what, what Auerbach thinks about the philosophy of history and meaning history or, or where things could go to. Yeah? Mm. And, he and he almost became a little bit angry. Yeah? I cannot teach you. I do not know myself. I am just someone who tries to make up his mind right. and to order things or, or to lighten up them a little yeah, bit. Yeah. But I don't know. And, and, and this is a great confession yeah. because I think it's so hard to say I don't know yeah. in a good sense, in a deep sense, because he's still struck by the question of, of meaning. Yeah. He's not cynical at all, yeah. but he does not want to say more than he can say. Yeah. And so many teachers get seduced by the questions of their pupils, tell me, teacher, tell me, what prophet. is the future going to be? Right. That's so the providential. The providential right. is what leads to the future. Right. So we have, like, I have a colleague in my university at Oldenburg, uh, Stefan Müller-Dom. He's, he's the great biographer of Theodor V. Adorno. Yeah. And Jürgen Habermas, who's still living yeah, in Germany, Habermas, yeah. a great German philosopher and a very sensible thinker. Yeah who always is asking meaning for for meaning or for a reason in our Western development. Mm. And it's so interesting to see that Jürgen Habermas is always used to tell, I know if we are on the track of our discourse, right. we will be somehow on the right track. Right. And, it's, and I think um, at the time that it's horrible to, to give the people the impression there is this one right reasonable position exactly which is in the hands of the position, thinkers who are the leading the discourse the experts right and 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 this other thing of this openness that we just have to compromise right that we just have to try and and do attempts in this and that and 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 correct ourselves right, afterwards right, right, right. um this is something else like that we're just provisional right just everything is just provisional right. somewhere in the middle Yes, and, and, and still there is a right that, peef, that people feel the need of thinking providential, right. of making up their minds. Therefore, they have religion, they have literature, they have, they have music, whatever, yeah? Yeah. Um, but we never will grasp it. Yeah. And this is what Aubach is all about, this, this keeping the tension between the both I perspectives, the historical and the metaphysical, which we will never reach, but we but which we will never lose. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think the culture and the ways that s social media works and stuff, it sort of, if you want to um, participate and, and rise in that imaginary hierarchy, it is about saying things, pronouncing things quickly. It's always provisional in the flat version. It's provisional, but it's trying to, trying to say yeah trying to sum up things once and for all and it's then people pile on and agree or don't and agree yes and the point is that's that's what's Auerbach's teaching uh, if you read me Mises 
it's like it's like the course of great books yeah he's he's giving and i think it's this is a task uh, if you think um you have have a great horizon like if you're just fixed on the actual thinking on the actual authors yeah yeah and the actual topics albar saying there is a cyclist of 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 recurring ideas and questions mm -hmm. and and it's good that the people should read old authors because the questions were asked before and yeah. and the, the circumstances may be totally different ones but the old answers the old attitudes yeah. uh, the old language can teach us something can connect us to people who were able to 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 lift the tension to stay in tension yeah. and nowadays people do not have this this force uh, that's what you meant earlier when you said to stay in tension between right. tension between the different possibilities right and yeah. to read authors who who have shown us uh, in words yeah and if we reread their words we somehow re-encounter their attitudes yeah. their personalities yeah. so we are not just lost uh, and forced to encounter nowadays people right we have the great privilege as people who can read to encounter people from 2500 years yeah which have a certain knowledge of of men and women and this is the task of of writers too to connect themselves to authors from former times right. and write into the actual position it's not the point just to to re, re, uh, re narrate them yeah it's 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 the task to to make a synthesis which is connecting them with our situation exactly. so if you read vico now yeah, yeah. you should read them in your question of I nowadays I, and you have to and yeah and it's difficult because it takes confronting the question and being able to identify the question of what's yes. nagging at you because there's so many i mean i experienced this myself you know i go through i'll go through you know periods where there's something that i know i need to address and i don't want to address it and there's many ways to just kind of keep gratifying yourself away from it so you first have to confront the question right. but you also have to have the faith and you have to have the patience but but if you know what your question is and you're able to find texts that are poking peripherally even at that question it can it is possible it is possible for to imagine a future that's different and work towards it you know yeah. i don't know if people mm, right. and you, you if you keep fleeing it it's just gonna it's gonna get it's just gonna get worse and worse yes and i think it's a wonderful thing that's what Aubar is saying in his two essays uh, on mythology that we all have to have a question yeah reading without our own questions is horrible for it's our box. It's, hor it's horrible. Like it's if you don't have a question, you 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 cannot read the text because you 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 cannot you connect to the text. You you just retell the text. But that's when I think it t exactly. That's when I think these things like imagination and awe start from the earlier. Pre that's when that that's when it's useful and if it, it, it feeds a type of spirit versus a type of statistical m hyper scientific re positively you know, re yeah thinking. yeah or or even capital you know just this sort of yeah I, I don't know there's something there there's something there where i think the, those writers are really speaking to to our current time in like a useful way yeah and in this late text about his method and vehicle which was published posthumously oh auerbach yeah. is talking about his method again oh yeah and it's wonderful that he's somehow showing or um, drawing the attention of the reader to the point that you, on the one hand, have to understand the text, right. like a text of Rico, the way Rico would have understood himself. Right. 
this is one thing. Right. But then the other thing is for, for Auerbach, and that is more important afterwards, to ask what does this mean for me now? Right. So it's always the question two, the second step, what is the meaning of this text for me now? Right. I have to understand what the person in his history was thinking. Right. This is a philosophical or ph uh, philological task. Yeah. And then there's some of the existential task of asking what does this text mean to me in my situation, right. in my world. Right. And therefore his writings are always giving both sides, but more, it's more a synthesis. You in Auerbach's Mimesis, you do not just have the, the idea what the people were thinking at their times. Yeah. It's always connected and mixed up with Auerbach's um, underground idea, meaning for himself. So, so reading Mimesis is not easy because Auerbach is hiding his own questions he's hiding his own. In, in the retelling of the story. So he's somehow mixing things up in a very, very um, great way. So he's an artist somehow, yeah, yeah. Not, not a scientist only. So, so it's a creative act. It's a, almost it's a creative act. act the way he's he not just a philologist. Yeah. He, he is a writer in his own rights. Right. Uh, so so using his philological tools right. and writing a history of Western literature, yeah. which is more art than science. I think people may may not even take the first step of reading, trying to imagine the writer in their time, um, writing what they're writing. You know, not to mention the second step. I think there's that's very that way of reading in this very conversational way is very different from taking a text and kind of quickly scanning it for certain a, a interests qu a quick quip and then and then summing it up quickly for now my own resentment <laughs> now i'm now i'm speaking about myself yeah. no but you, you know I, I think that's the point that's the point you know um wow Oh wow! I could feel it. We hit an hour. Yes. Um, you have to go at four. Oh, that's fine. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, man. Um, yeah, I need to write. I need to try to write something about these two books. I'm really glad you've sent me on this, on this path of reading. And I'm looking forward to it because I think that's the point. If we develop a question for ourselves, yeah, and connect it to our situation, yeah, then 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 we might find an answer. And we, we 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 find a horizon in which we can think. Yeah. And I think this this I would wish for for many younger peoples that they take the time and read authors who are dead for a long time. Yeah. And white ones too, maybe. Yeah. And think about yeah, there's a literal historic historic literal historical element to how he's reading. Like I would always do that when I'd read. I'd I'd think about I'd read about the author. What's go or I read something in a book and I say, like oh, what, oh, did he have a sibling, you know? And I, I always thought that was weird, but I think that's how you should read because right. it's 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 not. And I think we, you know, in school we get a book, a text, and it's like read it or pass a class, and it's uh, the the author seems like a god or something, but it's just a person writing and trying to could figure be a his life out. Brother or sister. Yeah, right. And I, I I don't know. There's something about that way. Yeah, I was going to connect that to something else about what you were saying about... Uh, oh, yeah. So I was connecting that to um, what you were, we were saying earlier about letter writing because you sent me 
multiple, I read multiple letter books on your recommendation, Kafka's Letter to the Father, and also Rilke's uh, Letters to a Young Poet, which I might have read a long time ago, but it was way different when I read it this time. But uh, that is also writing in this way where you're kind of aware of a hypothetical audience or I, I don't know. I'm just trying to connect that to it's like even it's almost a conversation when you're writing because my tech my text feels my writing feels more life and, and my book was a lot written with that with people in mind kind of almost like it's a love letter. I think you're totally right but because writing is always you have a certain person in mind to whom you're uh you're writing somehow. And Versus writing in this cold expert way, right? Isn't mm. that, there's kind of a cor corollary there. Right. An Arbach's way of reading. And this writing, a letter means you're, you're focusing on a certain person yeah. as, as your public, and this person inspires you. Yeah. Some people may, may be terrible as someone to think of to whom you're writing. Right. But, but if you have a good public if you have certain people to whom you can write it's provisional it's right it's, it's one person and you can say and you can see that then then the horizon opens up yeah um and it's it's an unconscious process yeah, yeah. you don't know what happens like if we can talk like we can talk now right it's because you are you and i am right. i right. right and 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 this is somehow a mixture which which makes possible that we talk in a certain openness exactly and if i would have been a certain academic yeah our talk might have been lasted for half an hour and then it would be very nice to have seen you <laughs> and this was it right right or i wouldn't we wouldn't yeah it, or if i if i'm talking from an official point um you know for yeah for a mass audience right it'd be then, a different then, thing. then then it's dead but you want to exactly then it's dead and you want to infuse but you want to infuse that type of aliveness into i feel like that's my task uh, into different spaces so. and 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 I did a little book on, on, on the S's on, and letters of Auerbach. I selected some letters, yeah. and and for me Auerbach is most precious as a writer in writing his letters. Oh yeah, so talk so about that. That's your that's your main project right now. No, no, no. I did it, and oh, I think okay. we should have a, a selection of letters of Auerbach in the English version too. Yeah, um, because they are just the letters to to Walter Benjamin, which which are known in English, and it's such a great thing to see. Uh, how Auerbach is focusing the person he's writing to. That's exactly what we're talking about, the back and forth. So it's letters to and from various other yes. writers. And, 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 and Auerbach is a great writer because you can see he's telling something, but he's also hiding something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has yeah. a certain sound, and this is the Auerbach sound. And it's a very special sound because it's very modest somehow, mm. but it has a still force. It makes you think. Yeah. And, 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 and this way of, of writing is very seldom because he's not just an academic who wants to exchange thoughts or yeah. opinions. Yeah. He's, he's at the point that, that we talk about our lives. Right, right, right. But he's not showing it too, 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 too openly. Too like he he's not a Martin Heidegger or an existential philosopher. Right. He's, he's always polite and noble yeah. and, and, and uh, somehow hiding his existential questions in a modest, uh, seemingly easily and ironically written way. Right. Right. I guess I kind. I guess in some ways I hide some stuff, but I also. No, I think this is all of us. Open. Yeah. I think. Right. And 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 this is wonderful that we. That's a cultural technique to hide. Yeah. And I think we should hide, yeah. and there should be some situations and moments where we open up. Right. But to open up, there's one person needed 
who is worthwhile to get our truth. Right. Right. And 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 the idea of authenticity, authenticity, yeah, is is horrible because mm. this means that we Don't open up to everybody. Ah. But but why should we? Ah. Why should I tell everybody what's inside of me? I don't know mm. why. There's so a nobility c- to that restraint. Yes. No, there's a li- or, or respect. No, it's a lit- it's a legitimate interest mm. to 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 restrain our openness yeah. to situations where the people are the right ones to be open to. Right, right, right. Uh, authenticity is something that that's horrible. That's Why like should Nico I tell saying, everybody? We th- we pick a certain person. We pick a certain right. place. So be <sighs> closed. Mm. Hide yourself. For sure, you should. <laughs> no, I mean it. You haven't read my book. <laughs> no, I tell you. Because yeah. there comes the moment when you see there's a person who's worthwhile, whom you trust, who has the ability to open you up, yeah. and then you can talk. And the art of writing is also showing what you think without putting it too clearly out. What do you think about what do you think about Canalsgard's project? I don't, so I'm not a fan of that You're not a Bec- fan because of that. like like I had I've, I've written a short book about my teacher in art history. Yeah. And this was wonderful person. Uh, he was working in the Abi Warburg House in in Hamburg, yeah. and he wrote about Rubens and all those painters mm. of the 17th and 18th century or yeah. 16th also, who lived in repressive worlds mm. um, at the court normally, so they where, where, where they were court painters. Yeah. And and he shows that those court painters had a certain freedom a certain privilege, but they couldn't paint openly what they were thinking in a certain repressive atmosphere. But therefore, they used the iconographic material Mm. and instruments to give their truth even like to hide. And there's a certain art of hiding. Ah. And and this needs a certain public who is able to understand. So if we have to, to hide in repressive times, it's you, you, you need a technique to, to put those hidden um, truth into your picture or your text. Yeah. And you need a certain public who's able to read it. Uh. And therefore, there is a certain space between people. Yeah. And this space is necessary. Uh. Uh, so I think this Knausgaard, it might be somehow be interesting, but, but being, being laid out in the public... Yeah. Um, it's like a tyranny mm. because everybody has to see me mm. and it's like a little child yeah and and i'm not a fan of it yeah yeah and i think and aubach is that is therefore and this teacher too a noble person who is restricted somehow yeah but who is creating a culture of hiding and 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 exploring right and this culture gives us a certain tension and it keeps a space between people and a certain riddle and a certain mm. not knowing the other one totally. Right, right, right. No, that's that's so interesting. I mean, that really stuck with me when you said that last week. Um, and I think that's one of the things I'm thinking about, about um, intense vulnerability in art yes. and, and the effect it can have. I mean, I think in some ways, there I am very deliberate and artful about the ways things are hidden or the way stories are told only on the surface. Um, kind of like we were talking about with mm-hmm. out of like the dirty realism tradition, yep. you know, staying on the surface. 
But but I, there might be hidden hidden truth too right, behind there's hid, that. There's hidden truth too, but I think I do, I do, I think at least in my youth I was, I was influenced by Nausgaard, and I do think that there's a way that there's a certain placidity or a certain too much propriety in literature, and I guess it is a little tyrannical. It's almost terroristic, but there is an element of wanting to jolt people yes and, and this has maybe that's a little no maybe that's and, because and i don't have good is, yeah good and, family and structure it has growing its up. own rights yeah it's a little tyrannical and why it not tyrannical. Yeah. so so we can talk about it and like like your person as I, far as i can say uh with whom i love to talk yeah and 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 if if you develop a certain way of writing tyrannically yeah okay i will but look at it right Uh, but it must not be your last truth. It's a provisional truth for a provisional certain truth. time. Exactly, it's a provisional truth. And then the truth. times are changing, exactly. and then you might change your tools. And I think, uh, yeah, and I think that that question about that's just interesting. It was just so it was so telling when you said that because it is it's a it's a question that I've been thinking about, and and maybe there was a point when I, in, in a provisional time when I had felt I had real certainty about what what the artistic vision was, but then life happens and. Yeah. And you have to keep and changing. And this is development. And this I think this is so important. And the question changes a little right. bit. Right. But the good thing is every person who's on his track, there's a certain hand um, hand signature, we say mm. in German, Handschrift. Yeah. So you can say this is this guy. Yeah. And and changes are possible. Yeah. But only changes would stay connected to your personality. Exactly. That's important. Yeah. So the question is, are you a person who's trying? And then you might have many changes. Yeah. But all those changes are connected to you one, to your personality yeah. and to your development and right. your changes, and this is convincing. Yeah. And then we can talk about it. Yeah. And there's nobody perfect, and yeah. we all have somehow developments and regresses and whatever. Yeah. 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 And we need somehow a certain openness that we can say, okay, yes, I did that, but nowadays I want to do it this exactly. way. Exactly. So, so it's because that's that's also what 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 steps on the ability to accept our provisionality while striving for the providential is a, a cultural energy of um, fear about being wrong. Yes, right? that's horrible. I think that's part of what I was reacting against, too, when I, w when I got a little tyrannical, right? Yes, Where and I said, that's right at that right. point. At that point, it was, yeah. Because you were... It was my truth was at that point. You were not a conformist at that time. You right. want to be... The other side. And I wanted to direct it towards myself because that was confusing to people because everyone was pointing at somebody else. But what if someone pointed at themselves? I guess it's a little bit, it's a little bit Japanese, yeah. <laughs> a little bit take no, out, yeah. take out myself. Maybe. <laughs> But I think it's also that you reflect people want to be correct. Exactly. And if you want to be incorrect, it tells the people something. Exactly. And if you have the courage to be incorrect. And I think it was a, it was an act of, um, incorrectness. Incorrectness and also, but not just in a, But and uh, just a just a uh, uh, yeah an intense looking at myself, looking at my interrogation, yeah. interrogation of myself. I think in a lot of ways. And 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 this and leads and back to changing. Auerbach too. Yeah. If you see Auerbach or Montaigne, yeah, he's saying Montaigne is every day a different one. Yeah. He's changing every day, connected to his other historical perspective yeah and reading montaigne doesn't mean you have a systematic thinker right. who's always the same right you have a 
person, a human being who's who's trying to get some orientation and reflection about his person, his life, his situation, and he's taking the right to say, I see it every day differently. Yes. I'm a provisional person yeah. with changing perspectives. And if you want to read me, you have to expect that there will be different uh, truths in my life. Yeah. And they might interact act positively or don't like each other. Yeah. But this is my way. And it's a certain activity out of historical standpoints. But still trying. Right. Not saying, I'm changing every day so I don't try. Vico says that in his in introduction. He goes, yeah, the two out of the three parts that I'm happy with. <laughs> this is the interest yeah. to his book. There's parts that I'm not happy with now. But he wrote, you know, which is a right. pretty radical admission in a... In a because in he's a, on a search. He's on a and search. He's still searching. That's the point. So, so like every scientist is searching. Yeah. And he's changing his opinion and having new insights. Every writer searching too. But that's how science. That's how scientists. Right. Yeah. That's how. That's how it should. But then it can be abused and it can be said. Yes. It's but science. You have so to it's be fixed. honest. That's the point. As a right. writer, you have to be honest with yourself. What is the point that I can make today? Right. Right. Exactly. What is and the point that I can make today? And there should be certain honesty yeah. and attempt. Yeah. And not just serving a certain interest of yeah. the public yeah. because you you are able to to provide a certain technique of writing. Right. Right. So you can write the book. The public wants. Has to come from time. humility. Yeah. It has to come from humility. Yes, and and the inside that it's you that's at the right. stakes. Right, it's right. It's your own life. It's right. o your own questioning. Right. It's not the public. The public might be inspired. You might earn money with it. Right. But as a writer, you're first responsible to your own viewpoint. Yeah. Nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. I think we did a good job. I think we did a really good job. Thanks so much. Thanks yes. so much for, for sitting no, it was down wonderful. And no, I I'm mean, I'm really glad we did. Yes, same to me. I think you ended it with a with a strong directive. I mean, this is the point, yeah. Yeah, uh, now I'm. A mm. <laughs> this is the point. All right. Well, yeah. Thanks again, and we can uh, we can turn this off. Any last yes. words? I'm very thankful that we have the chance to talk here at your Let's apartment and that we became friends. Likewise. That's wonderful. Likewise. And I think there's a certain trust and this is so important. Yeah. If we trust each other, you can open up even for your faults and yeah. your mistaken steps. Yeah. Because there's a trust and you don't, you don't get hidden by the other one or you don't yeah. get uh, beaten up. Right, right. That's the point. So always there has to be an atmosphere of trust and, and the public is not the place of trust. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. Well, let's get that uh, that Arbach letters translated into English. Yes. Awesome.